You're listening to Jump the Creek, where we take a nostalgic look at the past, an honest look at the present, and a hopeful look at the future. With your hosts, Ben and Jake Tolson. Hey, Jake. Good morning, Ben. How's it going, man? It's going well. Happy Monday to you. Happy Monday to you, too. Happy American Election Eve. Yes, indeed. Presidential election. Yep, that's an exciting time. Is it? I mean, exciting is a word you could use. Oh, there's probably other words. <laughs> Man, it's it's just been, I don't know, like I can't, I cannot remember any election in the past where I've felt as many feelings as I'm experiencing right now. I, th- I think back to four years ago, and that was that was definitely... I feel like an intense election and I had all the same, like me personally, I had all the same, you know, I was, I was on Twitter, Facebook, had access to any and all of the news outlets I wanted. I could refresh the, the pollster websites as often as I wanted to. And I guess I, I did feel a little bit of it then, but definitely not like before that it was almost just like barely a blip on my radar. It's like, oh, it's election it's, you know, it's an election year again. And I feel like this year especially it has just eclipsed everything. And it's it's like week after week, day after day, it feels like there's something new that I need to be paying attention to. I don't know, do you feel the same way? Yeah, it's a it's a different kind of presidential cycle because the news just hits constantly and you don't have time to worry about or process the first thing because the second thing and the third thing and the fourth thing already happened. It just is kind of, um, it's kind of intense, just constant, constant bombardment of what about this? Now this is happening. What about this now? Yeah, man. I, so I was talking to a friend yesterday and he was saying that he, uh, he, you know, you and I come from a church background, you know, and have our own experiences with religion and which I will definitely at some point we'll kind of get into on the show, I'm sure. And, um, yes. but this was, this was someone who I knew from back when Rachel and I were playing church camps and stuff like that. And he was, he was, a one of the camp pastors, but he's, he's really, I would say in a very similar place that I am in terms of his spirituality and, and, and some of his ideology and, and that kind of thing. And so he was, he was feeling a lot of the same things, you know, that I was describing about just kind of feeling bombarded and kind of this sense of anxiety. Um, in some ways it kind of occurred to him that he was going to take some time before the election to do a a six-hour prayer vigil where he was not going to look at the news, nothing, like no social media accounts, wasn't going to talk to anybody. He was just going to have some time to kind of make some space for himself to find peace. And I, I was like, huh, that like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I feel like, I feel like a lot of us need that. Yeah, that's a great way to approach it, as opposed to 
I can imagine there's a lot of people out there that might be doing something similar, but their goal is to pray about who to vote for. But to do it and find peace instead, I, I can I can get on board with that. Absolutely. And it's important to stay engaged. You know, I think there is there is some amount of privilege that allows certain people to disconnect. I think especially for you and me right now, how the election goes isn't really going to have a huge impact on our lives. I might be wrong about that. I might be, you know, being naive. You you might be. But definitely not nearly as much as it's going to have on minorities, on LGBTQ+, on people with disabilities, potentially people with pre-existing conditions, women. I mean, you know, there's there's this long list of identities and issues that are kind of up in the air right now. Yeah. I feel like in some ways it's really it's really difficult not to stay engaged. But I think it's also healthy when we can to disengage enough to find our center and to find our sense of peace. Kind of like putting your own mask on, you know, like the the airplane metaphor, like you put your own mask on and then you help other people. Yeah. Get your get yourself right so you can you can be productive and help your yourself and the people around you make more informed decisions. Yeah. So I don't know what that looks like for other people. I just thought that was a really interesting idea. And I'm gonna try to figure out some version of that. I don't know if I I don't know if I can take a six hour break <laughs> from keeping up with everything, but you can uh, you can try. I I kind of do that. It sounds like a cheesy, oh no, no one can do this kind of thing, but you can kind of get yourself in a mindset where you are kind of letting things roll off your back on a almost minute by minute basis. You know when it gets really overwhelming i'm fortunate to be able to kind of shut things down and be like well this is what i'm doing right now so i'm just going to do this yeah and that's really like that's that's really just the practice of being present and that's kind of at the core of meditation you know what what some people think about when they hear meditation is like you know sitting cross-legged in a room closing your eyes and and humming or chanting or something like that but but really the the core of any meditation practice is being present and in many cases what we find when we're present is that we are safe that we can breathe that there is you know something happening now that we can pay attention to and focus on that takes our attention away from the potential dangers of the future and the trauma of the past. And that ends up being something that's just super healthy for us. Practically speaking, it actually reduces stress. It helps with a lot of things like people who meditate regularly, get better sleep, have better diet regulation, have lower blood pressure. These are, these are things that have actually been studied and scientifically proven. So anything that you can do, even just for a short time, even if it's just for a minute to be present and 
to take a breath, I think is is good. I agree. Now, let's get into the memories. The memories. And so because tomorrow is the American presidential election, we thought we'd talk a little bit about some of our memories of elections past. I'll say that as a kid, I don't remember the, the topic really coming up at all. It didn't. It really didn't. I do remember mom saying that she liked Clinton. I remember I remember she said she was a fan of Clinton. And I also remember that he played the saxophone. And that there was that was kind of a big deal. And then there was like other stuff too. There was yeah, then there was other stuff that was also a big deal. <laughs> Man, that I mean that whole thing is really interesting to look back on. Yeah, contextually, I mean, can you imagine this day and time? Oh my goodness. So it wasn't a major theme and and I I kind of when I think about my childhood, I compare it to like what my kids are going through. Like we get the newspaper every week and uh, like every weekend and there's always some cover story about something that's going on in US politics. COVID took the headlines for, you know, a few months and then politics again right there on the front page at least at least in that sense and then conversations that Rachel and I are having conversations they're having with friends you know like it's it's almost always coming up and so in some ways i feel like it's a good thing and then in other ways like there was something nice about growing up as a kid in america and not having to think about or worry about politics that is kind of a gift if you if you think about it it's like there is enough stability in the nation that you're living in that you don't have to be aware of or engaged in politics yeah to a certain extent you want to be civically engaged but um you know when you're young you want the people that can vote to have voted and made smart decisions on who they voted for and all that stuff should just be going on in the background without really bothering you you should just be out playing or learning or whatever yes and but i I will i will add this one of the things that i think is kind of beautiful and i think good is that there is kind of this like you don't you almost don't have a choice but to be engaged i do wish that i had at a younger age, become more politically aware and had participated in politics, in civic life, when I had more energy and availability, you know, things, things that I could do to actually be involved. And then at the same time, you know, like my ideology has shifted a great deal since that time. And so in some ways, maybe I'm kind of glad that I wasn't very politically active. I don't know if that resonates at all. But for our kids, I feel like, you know, like going, going into young adulthood, aware of the fact that they can get involved in civic life, in advocacy, in issues that matter to them is good in some ways too, because they get to use that, that, you know, young energy and availability. There's a, a sense of fulfillment of purpose that comes from that. Yeah. And I, I know thinking about that when I was younger. I, I don't, I know that people voted, you know, for who they wanted to. There was still obviously somewhat of a divide. There was always, you know, different candidates and 
different opinions and different ways to approach whatever social issues were happening at the time. But it seems like now it it's much more laser-focused. That divide line is hard. It's like a thick, hard line that you're, you're pretty, pretty much one way or the other, and there's not a whole lot of crossover. There is in some respects, but it being so kind of intense, the way social media and the 24-hour news cycle and everything is, it's so in your face all over the place that young people now are seeing it in such a different light. Yeah, there's there's a, a much stronger tribal element, I think, to our politics today than what I remember. I don't know if it was just because there was, you know, like our, our family's political ideology was so homogenous back then that there was never any reason for it to come up or for it to be a discussion. Or if it was, you know, like many families, such an uncomfortable conversation that nobody felt brave enough to bring it up but we definitely weren't aware or at least i was never aware of any difference of political opinion among my family members between you know grandparents and parents or whatever yeah it was it was far enough in away from the daily life that the daily life took precedent like that's also another, I guess, kind of good thing is, uh, as kids, I feel like not having not having to be around those contentious arguments around politics was kind of nice, and there was plenty of other drama to go around. You know, it's not like there was anything going on politically that was more consuming than what we we're already just experiencing in day to day life. Did you um ever? do student council type of things? I didn't actually, you know, I was, I was aware of people running for student council and that kind of thing. And it always felt to me like, Oh, that's something that those kinds of kids do, you know? Oh yeah. And I never thought of, I never thought of myself as one of those kinds of kids. I, I didn't run for anything, but I was a part of a campaign in high school. It really was just an excuse for me to, get out of class and make a really cool campaign video for my friend and uh which entailed going as fast as my little four-cylinder 85 mustang could down the high school parking lot and pulling the e-brake to do a 180 where it if after i get to the stop my friend who's running is in the passenger seat with a sign and then he screams his little slogan he he got second place, and I attribute all of that to that video. <laughs> That's awesome, man! Like, gosh, see, and those are like I I I'm so in love with doing creative stuff, and you know, trying to think outside the box with marketing stuff. I'm really involved with video work right now, and you know, back then, I was I was still you know, the quote unquote artistic type, but it was just music, you know? So I didn't, I didn't really have, I kind of wish that I had all of those skills at that time. And that, you know, like I was getting tapped to do that kind of thing. It that would have been fun. Well, and, and back then, you know, that was like the late nineties. So we didn't have smartphones and 
No, gosh, we had we had you know that really old kind of camera with a tiny little tape in it. I feel like kids growing up nowadays have access to such great tools that I'm 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 a little bit jealous. We had um, you know, kind of not really a pep rally. It's like a campaign rally where everyone got to come out and speak and talk about you know what what their plans are to use the money from the concession stands for the football games to go towards and there's a lot of stuff about different curricular activities like allocating money and stuff towards the band or new instruments or the computer lab and all all of that stuff was really cool and to see like people taking such an interest in it i did not take such an interest in all of that i just wanted to do a 180 in my car <laughs> yeah it's not but it was fun to be a part of it. It's it's really interesting to me because as you're describing all of that, I'm getting I'm getting really enthusiastic about like, oh yeah, it would be super cool to know what kind of budget would we have to work with and what kinds of things are we allowed to do with that? What are some things that are outside the box that we haven't thought of? And then like how could I communicate that to people in in a way that would inspire them so much that they would feel confident and want to vote for me to lead those changes. I, I didn't have any of those kinds of thoughts back then. And, and I don't know, maybe, maybe that is kind of like an opportunity to instill that kind of enthusiasm and possibility in my own kids. Because for me, it was, you know, like I said, I didn't think of myself as one of those kids who did that. And not because I didn't have self-esteem or whatever. I just, I felt like, oh, that's not my lane. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's not to say that like I should have, but more more to say that like I could have. It's something it's something that I could have done. Yeah, I re- I remember mom telling me often that I was going to be president one day. And I don't know why she decided to tell me that. But I remember having a conversation with her that I kind of had to like tell her, "Mom, I'm not going to be president." I don't want to be president. <laughs> like, it's not a job that I would want ever. I mean, it's not too late, though. It's not too late, sure. I mean, I've got what? How old are they? I've got till I'm like in my late seventies, at least. Did you Did you see Saturday Night Live? Yes. <laughs> so you saw it. I I don't watch Saturday Night Live, but when John Mulaney's on, I watch Saturday Night Live. Yeah, I love John Mulaney. So he was he was talking about like oh I'm supposed to tell you about this contest it's the oh, yeah the old man two, contest there's, yeah there's whichever one you like better you can vote for them the, uh, el- he said elderly man oh yeah, man it was man. just it was good it was good stuff so I I think it really wasn't until for me it wasn't really until after high school that I became a little bit more politically aware and it was because. That was uh, 2000 was when I graduated. So that was an election year when Bush was running for, for his first term. I was going to Pensacola Christian College. And it's, it's a very conservative Christian school. And I remember the, the campus pastor because we, you know, we had a campus church that we went to every Sunday. And I remember the campus pastor kind of making a joke because like he wasn't quote unquote supposed to 
make a political endorsement. Like you're not supposed to do that. Right. But he said, so he said, I'm not going to tell you who I'm voting for. I'm going to keep my vote hidden in a bush. (laughs) Everybody laughed. That was the first time, like I was, I was aware of kind of this feeling of social pressure based on my spiritual identity to vote a particular way. That was the year of the hanging Chad. That was, that was a big thing. And I was, you know, I was in Florida when that was happening. So I was like, oh man, that's crazy. Did you see any hanging chads? Not that I, not that I can recall now. If you see something, say something. Right. That's what I was told. Yep. So you would have been, you would have been in high school at that time. Yeah. And I was, I, I had eventually moved to live with our dad and it was a whole different version of childhood for me because all of a sudden I was in the church quite a bit and that definitely had a, an influence, I think, because I, I was a very strong Bush supporter and would have arguments with kids at school. And it was just based on the fact that he was a Christian. That means that he's wonderful. And my opinion would change over time. I really was uninformed. I didn't know anything about policies or anything like that. It was just kind of a naive. And that's probably the first time I remember ever even acknowledging that there were such thing as presidents and politics. Because that was like right out of junior high. Yeah, I'd I'd have to say the same thing that even you know, even going into the the 2004 election cycle, it was more about my religious identity and the social pressures around that. And when I say social pressures, it wasn't like, you know, I had friends being like, "Now come on, Ben, you're going to vote for Bush," right? But it was just kind of this like it was just understood, you know, like if if you call yourself a Baptist, then you're you're going to vote a certain way. I guess from a policy standpoint, I did have some awareness of of some of the stances against certain things that Democrats were largely and and progressives were largely advocating for in terms of equality and and rights and that kind of thing. I had some awareness of that, but not not so much that I felt like my vote was a vote against those things, which, you know, like I, I started to realize more and more that that's exactly what it was. And, and gosh, I mean, really, I'm kind of rehashing all of this, but even going into 2008, um, I think that was kind of the beginning of my shift in ideology a little bit. I actually had a conversation with a friend after I had gone and voted and, you know, just mentioned, yeah, like I, I went and voted and, and he, he even said, this was, this was a friend from church and he even said something like, you didn't vote for Obama, did you? (laughs) What a, what a rude thing to say. Yeah. Well, and I was, I was like, it's not really anybody's business, but my own, thank you. But I did. I had come full circle at that point, and that was the first election that I voted in. I I called out of work that day. I was so excited. Yeah, and I remember you actually, I can't remember, did did the Audacity of Hope come out before that election in 2008? That's, uh, by the way, that's Obama's, or one of his books. Gosh, I, I don't know if I got it before or after, but 
I can say that he was very well-spoken, charismatic, and I truly embraced a lot of very liberal-themed mindsets for, for myself at that time. And, and to this day, I mean, I've, I've become the most liberal person I know in a lot of ways, <laughs> except for with exception of my mother. She's, um, she's kind of an enigma. Yeah, yeah. She's she's very she's very accepting and can be very liberal minded, but she's also very um religious. She has a very strong faith. Yeah. Yeah, she is an enigma. And I would say I would say too, like our our dad is a little bit of an enigma to me sometimes because he the thing I really appreciate about him is that he'll bring stuff up and and kind of prompt conversations around things, but doesn't seem to have an agenda or, you know, like he, those conversations feel a lot more open-minded. Yeah. He, he's really, it's really excellent at having the conversation, which is something that is, it's hard for a lot of people to do without it turning into something negative. Right. Yeah. And, and not that like, not that it's ever anybody's goal to like change the other person's mind. But one of the things I cherish is the ability to share your perspective and feel safe doing so and, and feel like the other person at the very least understands where you're coming from, even if they disagree with you. Yeah. And that is very hard to do sometimes. Yeah. It is. And, you know, like I've, I have to admit, I'm definitely guilty of harboring the kind of feelings toward people with whom I disagree that would make them feel unsafe sharing their beliefs and their thoughts with me. That's something personally I definitely need to work on. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I'll be able to change that about myself either. You can work on it. And I think you should, but I've kind of just try not to talk to people about politics. Yeah. I I don't think I'm going <laughs> to I'm not I'm some there's some things I'm just not going to see that that side. Well, I and I think there's I think there's a difference between understanding and acceptance. And understanding is a kind of loose term, like not understanding in the sense that oh, what you're saying makes sense. Understanding in the sense of like I can see why you would think that. Yeah, I can yeah, I can see why you would think that. I I can I can see the motivations behind those thoughts and feelings that you have. And I and at the same time like I fundamentally disagree with that. And that's okay. Um but gosh, we're I feel like we're so far from being able to talk to each other like that right now. The divide is very strong among us as, as a society. So we've, we've kind of like blurred the line between the past and the present. I don't know. Like, was it, was it nostalgic? I think the nostalgia really was kind of in the blissful ignorance that we had as yes. kids. I'm, I'm nostalgic about the ignorance for sure. Yeah. Oh, to be in those times. But you know, like, like we kind of talked about in the beginning of the episode, I think there's an element of privilege to that even back then you know there's an element of privilege to that that we got to experience 
And I do think, I, I think for most people, I think for many people, those were less tumultuous times, but also for many people, there were rights that had not been won that should have been. And, and that I think kept people from being able to have the same kind of, exp- of experience that we did, where like we could just disconnect. I, I just, I feel like it's important to acknowledge that anytime we talk about that, because though, though it was true for us, and that is a nice feeling, I want that feeling for everybody. Like I want, I want in, in the future, I want for there to be such stability and equality that staying engaged politically doesn't feel like a fight as much as it feels more like maintenance. But anybody feels like they could disconnect and feels like they could take a step back and that they could be okay and safe. That's the future I want. I agree. I was going to make a silly analogy about a car right before you said maintenance. Oh, yeah, do it, do it. (laughs) Well, just that you can get in your car and drive your kids to school or go to the grocery store or drive to work. And you should be able to get, ideally, for your own sake, get in your car and for it to start and you drive where you're going and come back to your home and not have to worry about what's going to happen. Sometimes something goes wrong and it has to be fixed. And one of the reasons you do maintenance is to make sure that doesn't happen too often. But if you just don't do the work and don't do the maintenance, then the thing's going to break down and you're going to be frustrated all the time. And it's going to put all kinds of people in an inconvenient spot. Yeah. And and that's a great metaphor. And then if you, if you kind of, you know, think about that as you, you grew up in a family where they, they were able to lease a new vehicle every year versus growing up in a family where like, you were lucky if they were able to buy a used car every 10 years. You and I both went through that stage of young adulthood. I think that many go through where you, you have the old beater car and you get in it pretty sure it's going to get you to where you want to go, but like something could definitely go wrong. And now being more established and I'm able to like, we don't get a new vehicle every year, but we have a, newer vehicle that like I can get in and feel very confident that it's not going to break down on me. And the relief of knowing that what you're driving around in is reliable and is going to get you where you need to be and isn't going to break down. It's not going to cause you problems. It's not going to keep you from getting to your job on time. It's not going to leave you stranded somewhere. Like not having to think about all of those things. Yeah, some someday, someday hopefully that will be um, a reality in government. But it feels like a long way off at the moment. It does, and it's not. You know, like this is this has been an important thing for me to hear and to recognize that if Trump is not reelected, that's not going to change the political dynamic in our country overnight. You know. With, with the right kind of leadership, I think that we could start moving in a different direction. I do have this very strong idea of being the president as being somebody who's the president of everyone. And I'm hoping that's something we can get closer to. Because the divide, it seems somewhat intentional. 
so far. Yeah. And so that's, that's something he has said, you know, Joe Biden has said, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to just be the president of the blue states. I'm going to be the president of the United States. But that's, it's up to us in a, in a way. Yeah. And, and so like, but if, if we keep ourselves divided in some ways, it kind of becomes this negative cycle where like we keep ourselves divided. And so leadership has to kind of play to one side or the other necessarily, you know, that like they, they almost can't get away from that. And so that ends up further polarizing us. I think there's got to be an effort on everyone's parts. And it's not, it's not about combining ideologies. I think it's about trying to find our shared values and making those shared values more important than the things that we consider to be our biggest differences. So my hope for the future would be that uh, I, I can be a part of that somehow. I can consciously remember that, you know, we're all in this together and really try to instill that thought process in, in Milo to make sure he knows that we're all dealing with what we're dealing with and everyone has their own walks of life. But ultimately, we are all in this together and it's important to remember that and support your friends and family and people that you know need help. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because it, it kind of challenges me. I know that in the way that I've been in the conversations I've been having with my boys, I've been using the language of us versus them. There's it's you know, it's a fine line because you definitely need to address real issues and it's important to understand that the driving force behind those issues is people. You know, it is people who have different ideas of how things should be. Yeah. It's it's funny um every once in a while something will come up talking with Milo and he's so young. So it's easy to answer simple questions and it'd be so much easier if we can talk to each other like that. But he'll say, you know, why why are those people angry kind of thing? And to answer a question about what's going on right now in that simple context and to explain it in a way that he would understand, it's, it's a great exercise mentally to be like, well, how do I say this? Some people, you know, aren't happy with uh, some, some of the things that are happening. And it could be from one side or the other. It doesn't matter. They don't see, like Milo, he, he doesn't see Trump supporters or Biden supporters or Democrats or Republican. He sees people that are upset. Yeah, I really, I really like that idea of trying to put it in simple language. And, you know, sometimes I think we find that when, we, when we're trying to explain things to children and to justify our thoughts and beliefs, and our feelings to children, sometimes we find that, wow, this is, this is less something that's fundamentally true and more just, you know, something I've constructed. Because if I can't, if I can't make this make sense to a kid who has no, like there's, 
there's no pretense there. There's no like filter through which they're running these ideas. They're still discovering the world and things, things are much simpler to them. Yeah. I, f- I feel like that kind of exercise really does allow us to kind of even, even reframe our own thoughts and beliefs. Oh, but man, it's, it's so hard that that line between there, there are people that you kind of have to push back against and that you have to fight against in order to make right what you believe should be right. And at the same time, those people that you're fighting against are human beings with thoughts and feelings and beliefs. And somewhere in those thoughts and feelings and beliefs are places where we overlap and we have, we do have shared values and we do want a lot of the same things. Like everybody wants to feel safe. Everyone wants to feel loved and like they belong. Everybody has those same basic needs. And I, w- I want to make sure that as I talk to my kids that I don't, you know, that I, that I give them the courage and, and help them feel like they've got the agency to fight for the things that they believe without losing their sense of humanity of the people they're fighting against. And that's what I, that's what I feel like is kind of lost right now. Like there, there's kind of a dehumanization of the other side. Yeah. It's hard to talk about because in, in some senses there, there's almost a permission given to be upset and not like people in a really dark way. Well, yeah. And it, and it's honestly, it's, it's being fed. I think in a lot of ways we're being led by conversations in, in media and television to, to talk about and think about people that we disagree with in ways that are somewhat dehumanizing and that ignore some of the legitimate values they're trying to meet through ways that, that we think are illegitimate, that, de- that we disagree with. But it's kind of like throwing out the baby with the bathwater. We are dismissing the entire person on the basis of one thing that we believe is absolutely wrong, but that may have actual you know, motives behind it that are not very different from our own. That's definitely, gosh, such a challenging idea to wrestle with and to talk about. But I, I, I hope the same way that you do that we can find some way to move closer together. Yeah, time, time will tell. And all we can do is our part to, to stay positive and move forward in a direction that's going, going to bring people closer together and feel more understanding towards each other. It seems like an impossible task, but we are capable of that. Everyone, everyone has that um, capability of being compassionate and understanding. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, like at, at the risk of trying to give practical advice that I haven't really exercised myself. So like, you know, take this with a grain of salt, but I think the first step is believing that the people that you disagree with have values that are similar to yours. That may feel really difficult at first. Like how could somebody think and believe the way that they do and have anything in common with me? But if you, if you can believe that, I think you can start to, there's a, there's a lot of, I think all or nothing kind of language in our political discourse right now. Like you're either for me or you're against me. 
you know, step one is believing that there's humanity. And then step two, I think, is believing that it's possible to recognize that there are things that you don't agree with that you believe fully are wrong about the way that other person thinks and, and believes, and that you can hold that at the same time as you hold their humanity and the motivations behind their beliefs. And in many cases, those are coming from the same place. There's something, you know, maybe it's, there's something threatening to their sense of identity about gay people getting married, for example. Yeah. You can believe it's wrong for you to, to want to prevent two people who love each other from getting married and sharing a life together legally. And at the same time, I understand how it feels for something in the world to threaten your sense of identity and make you feel like your experience is illegitimate. And that's not a nice feeling. There are things in my life that make me feel like that, that I fight against. And so I think you're wrong for picking that fight, but I understand why you feel that way. It's so, it's so hard for me to say that out loud though. Like I have to work on it so much. Yeah. It's like, um, imagine stubbing your toe and not cursing at the dresser. Yeah. It's not the dresser's fault. That's the point. I mean, the dresser shouldn't have been there, but, <laughs> oh man, this was, this ended up being kind of heavy. Yeah. That's okay. Sometimes it's got to be heavy. It's a, it's an important subject. Yeah. I'm going to cue the outro music. Maybe in the future we'll do something a little bit more lighthearted. We, we talk about Hawaii. I'm excited for that conversation. I have a lot to say. Yeah, it's going to be nice. That'll be a fun conversation. No politics in that one. All right. I love you, bro. I love you too. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>